Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. Hi, welcome to episode 10. You are about to meet Kelly Gherkin. Kelly is the founder of Sufficient Grace Ministries, serving thousands of grieving families worldwide since 2004, comforting others with the comfort she received in her time of grief. She is the mother of five children, three who dance in heaven, and two who fill her days with boyish antics on this earth. Kelly is a featured speaker at hospitals, churches, women's groups, and a leader of educational seminars for hospital staff and caregivers. She's also a certified SGM perinatal loss support doula, building a comprehensive perinatal hospice birth and bereavement program to support bereaved families. Kelly's book, Sufficient Grace, addresses many of the questions people ask in the face of tragedy. I am sure you are going to enjoy Kelly and our discussion. So now that I've introduced her, let's go ahead and get started. So, Kelly, I am, I'm really sorry to say that you have lost three children. Can we please hear your story? Sure. In 1996, my husband and I were expecting for the second time. We had a two and a half year old son, Timothy, and we were expecting twins. We found out about midway through the pregnancy after I had been in preterm labor while I was at the hospital that we were having identical twin girls. And we also learned that they had a condition called twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. And in simple terms, that's where one baby gets way too much of the fluid, the blood flow, the nourishment from the placenta, and the other baby doesn't get enough. Um, There were a lot of concerns about that pregnancy. I was very, very ill. I had been in the hospital for a while, uh, just kind of battling labor and and all of that. After they diagnosed us, I was sent home for a week with instructions to kind of pay attention to movement and um, rest as much as possible. And I had a lot of specialists that were keeping track of our our little girls. Um, We had named them Faith and Grace. And at about 26 and a half weeks along, I wasn't feeling any movement. And we, we went to the hospital actually had felt just a little movement the night before and not much the next day. When we arrived at the hospital, they were unable to find their heartbeats. And, you know, the, before that, we were 21 years old. So it's kind of like you're invincible when you're 21. And I was, I think, you know, even when they gave us the diagnosis, I said, well, I'm a praying woman and, it, and the women in my family are strong and they're girls and, and we're praying. So it'll be just fine. And I, that's kind of how I had processed the diagnosis to begin with. So even though we knew something was wrong, my babies weren't going to die. So in that moment to hear, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, there's no heartbeat, it changes your whole life. And I'm sure everyone who's been through any tragic loss can go back to that moment when you're no longer invincible when it happened to you and your babies and you're changed forever. So just utter devastation. The cries coming from from me were not even recognizable to me. And the words labor, stillbirth, 
funeral. None of those belonged in the place where my babies were supposed to be born. In one instant, all the dreams we had for them were, were gone. Um, our dreams for, for them on this earth to wear little pink ribbons and uh, bows and, and dresses that were identical and have tea parties and all of those things. My husband walking them down the aisle all gone. Um, so we, we did endure the labor uh, the next day. It was very long. They were born so silently and we held one in each arm and I sang Amazing Grace and spent maybe just a few moments with them. There wasn't a lot of guidance in 1996 about, you know, making memories with your babies or spending extra time. And there wasn't someone to say, you can wear this pretty dress or, um, you know, I didn't dress them. I, I just held them for that little bit, sang Amazing Grace, said a prayer, and, and that was it. We did have a funeral later. I did not leave my house for two months. Um, we live in a very small town where everyone knew us. So the thought of going to the grocery store, or anything was just very hard. It changed us forever. I remember the Faith and Grace being our first loss, I can say definitely that's the one that changed us forever. And I remember feeling like unfamiliar in my own skin. Like you, you've lost your babies, but you've also lost who you were a little bit and having to get used to this new person that I am and that my husband was, Tim and I were changed forever. So, um, the next pregnancy, no longer invincible, kind of holding our breath for that midway ultrasound about midway through, we found out we were having a little boy, but we also heard the words incompatible with life. The doctor said our son, Thomas, uh, we named him Thomas, had a condition called Potter syndrome. And Potter syndrome is basically the absence of kidneys. And without kidneys, there's low amniotic fluid and lungs can't develop. So we had about a week to decide if we would continue that pregnancy or deliver him early, ending the pregnancy. We prayed. Um, I will say you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and so you would think decisions like that would just come, come easily, I guess, or that I should have known right away what to do, but I didn't know right away. Um, it's a scary thing to hear about what could happen to your baby. You have a lot of doctors, you know, maybe saying this is the best thing to just, just maybe uh, end this earlier. I thought maybe if I did uh, could it prevent some of the grief for our family? So there were a lot of hard decisions that a parent isn't really prepared for. We did continue the pregnancy. So we had about four and a half months of, of our son growing, knowing he would not live once he was born very, very long, uh, short of a miracle. Mm -hmm. And that's actually when we chose to name him Thomas. Um, Thomas came from John 20, where Jesus has risen from the dead and, um, and Thomas is the one who needs to see to believe it. He says, I want to see the holes in your hand. I need to touch them. I need to see it to believe. And Jesus says, uh, you believe because you see, but blessed are those who believe without seeing. And so that was that journey for us. And I'll talk more about that later, uh, maybe if, if that comes up. But for us, definitely, that was a faith journey of learning to believe God when you don't see the answers, the side of heaven. Um, that's a big part of what changed me faith-wise uh, in that journey. The day we were diagnosed, 
there was that question in my face as well of where's your God now? Where's your God now? And I remember I didn't have an answer right away. I just knew he promises never to leave us nor forsake us. And so that has to still be true, right? Even if I can't feel him, that has to be true. And, and so a lot of searching through that over those four and a half months, what does faith look like? God, do I have to perform a certain way? What is that? And so, um, so that journey held a lot of that for us. And I learned that it isn't, I guess I'll just talk about the faith now since I'm in it. <laughs> Go for it. Yes. <laughs> I feel like I'm talking a long time. I before you're no, I love it. This is exactly <laughs> what I want. Go for it, girl. Okay. So, so yeah, you know, I wanted to know, okay, God, we need faith to please you. What does that look like? Do I have to know for sure? You know, if I could just find the answer here, will you spare my baby? Will my baby get to live? Why is this happening to me again? You hear people say, well, it was my faith that made my child well or, or my loved one well. You know, my prayers were answered. Well, what does that say about my prayers and my faith that two of my babies died and now another one's going to die? And those are the questions, right? That's the nitty gritty. That's what we all say in that moment. <laughs> you know, that's that's what people want to know. Well, how, how? How do we reconcile what we believe about faith or about God in that moment? What does that look like? So I dug in my Bible, tears just dripping on those pages, I wanted to know, teach me what faith is, God. What kind of faith do you want? And I looked in Hebrews 11 and the Hall of Fame of Faith, and I saw a whole lot of people that were just as big of a hot mess as I am. Um, Abraham, he had no idea where he was supposed to go. God said go, and he had to go without knowing. He and Sarah, they tried to take things into their own hands when he promised Isaac and, and he waited too long in their eyes. And uh, David had an affair and Noah got drunk. None of these people had it all together. And that really hit me that it wasn't about their performance that made them faithful. You know, Rahab was a prostitute. I mean, but it wasn't their performance. It wasn't that they had it all perfect. God counted them faithful because they knew where to go. They knew he was he was the one to look to. And so it didn't have to be all tied up in this neat bow that I had all figured out. And then also uh, the believing without seeing part that I talked about before. That was definitely another part in Hebrews. I believe it's Hebrews 12 talks about Jesus. You know, he's our ultimate example of what does it look like to be faithful and really hit me when I read about him resisting the cross to the point of sweating great drops of blood. He was asking the Father to take this cup from him. It wasn't easy. He despised the shame of it, but he did it for the joy set before him. And two things hit me. One, it wasn't easy. And that if it wasn't easy for my God, then there's not something wrong with me that I'm not skipping along knowing my baby's going to die and that I have to do this hard thing. And that's okay that it wasn't easy, but his ultimate heart was, I'm trusting you anyway, Father, and I'm yours, and I'm following you anyway. And the second part was that he did it for the joy set before him. And so that was definitely something I clung to, that could there be some joy set before us in this trial, in this loss of our child again? I used to ask my friend Dinah during that four and a half months if, you know, how am I going to do this? How do I stand beside another tiny grave? How do I endure another labor knowing my baby will not 
be with me. And she would say, I can see God's grace on you. And when you get to the end of this, his grace will be sufficient. We don't get the grace we need tomorrow today. We only get enough for today. And so definitely held on to that. Some days I didn't know. Um, but when it came time for Thomas to be born, it was another long, difficult labor. And he was born alive. He had reddish hair, which, which was very interesting to our brown-haired selves. And um, he lived for six hours. I was able to hold him and sing over him. And the grace that I felt and the peace that surpasses all human understanding, I never could have expected as a mother. All those months of waiting and wondering, I did not know. But when I got there, that grace was there, and it was enough. I felt such joy, and I never expected that. I never expected to feel joy meeting him and holding him and singing over him as he went from my arms to the arms of Jesus. In those six hours, and I, I didn't even get to be with him during the whole six hours. Sometimes they had to do procedures to even keep him stable enough uh, to be on the ventilator. But the time that I had with him, I would do over and over again just for that, that little glimpse of being his mother and that glimpse of heaven reaching down and touching earth because that's kind of what it's like in that moment. And in that moment, I had that answer to where is your God now because he was right there. It, it was really an amazing moment. So since, since the loss of of our son and our daughters, uh, we've actually started a ministry. I'm not sure if you want to hear about that yet. I can let you ask your next question, but that's our baby story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we did have another child after Thomas. I almost always forget to talk about our James, and he gets very disgruntled about that. So uh, we have a, a son that was born after Thomas, and he had, it was another complicated pregnancy. Uh, he had a subcorean hematoma about a 50% chance of miscarriage early on, and then also uh, concerns about preterm labor. But he was born healthy and well, and he will be 16 in May. So very grateful for him. Uh, I, that is an incredible story, Kelly. I think of the whole faith piece. Uh, one of the things, it's interesting, because God used Hebrews 11 in my life also in that dark time of grief and our daughter had had cancer when she was three had her leg amputated went through chemo and then one of the chemo drugs caused heart damage which is what actually ended her life at 29 was the heart damage from that chemo and so you know when she went through that cancer we were like you we were young we were invincible we're prayer warriors our church was on this 40-day fast and prayer rotation for her you know it's kind of like we got this this is going to be a testament this is going to be one of those miracle stories and then her leg gets amputated and she goes through nine months of chemo you're forced to look at what is this whole faith thing God right I have yeah. faith and then you have people that actually say if you would have had enough faith <laughs> and it's like that's a horrible thing to do to a parent to say it's your fault because you didn't have enough faith and my husband and I knew that was not the case we had faith in our God so then it causes you to go back to God and say okay God I obviously I've got something wrong here you know I can either choose to say you're false you're fake I chose to just lean into him and let him explain himself to me <laughs> which is he so graciously does and so then when Becca died, you know, back at the beginning, I had a very presumptuous faith. You know, you pray, you speak it, you get it. 
And then when it doesn't happen and you do all that reevaluating. And so when Becca died, my faith was not presumptuous, but I did have faith. But it was a it was a totally different kind of faith because over those years, I had learned that my faith was not in the answer to my prayer, but my faith was trusting God, the one to whom I was praying to, and surrendering my will to his will, like you were saying Jesus did. And sometimes we don't get the answer we want when we do that. You know, it was like in asking God about this whole faith thing, and he took me back to to Hebrews 11. And he said, well, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please me. You know that. And I, it was like, yeah. And he said, well, your faith brought me so much pleasure. And it was like, oh my goodness, to think I could bring God pleasure because of my faith in who he is. And one time we almost lost her when she was pregnant. They had gave her a 50, her a 50-50 chance of surviving labor and delivery. I had faith in God again. When they took her away to have the baby, I just fell in my husband's arms and I was crying. And it was like, I don't understand why I'm crying because I know that I know that I know that I trust God. And he so wisely said it's because we don't know what direction we're going to have to trust him for. Exactly. That's so true. Yes. So our faith is not in getting the answer we want. Our faith is in trusting God to walk us through it, no matter what answer comes on this earth that we, like you said, we won't get those answers this side of heaven most of the time. Right. Exactly. And that whole choosing the joy set before us, I think that's probably a huge piece that as grieving parents, we really struggle with because it's all supposed to count it all joy, you know, those kinds of things. And I think that's another, like faith is such a misconception of what that joy is, you know, to be able to say, even, I think we have to choose, we have to get to the point where we want to choose to say, Lord, show me where there's a joy set before me in this, you know, and, and be really honest and say, Lord, I don't even want to see that. Right. If that's where you are. Oh, exactly. As Christians, I think often going back to that performance thing, that's what we do. We hear the grieve without hope. We hear that we're supposed to be joyful. Good Christians don't, don't um, act like they're wallowing in sorrow and all of that. So then again, how do we reconcile grief, which is crippling and leaves you in this sea, just gasping for air or a pit that you can't even crawl out of you, you know, how do you do that? And, and so many times I say as Christians, we can't judge somebody's performance in grief. We need love and grace. And, and they might, you know, sometimes you can give a Bible verse like count it all joy. And it's like salt in a wound. It's not a word of hope in that moment because you're giving it more as this band-aid you're slapping on them or almost kind of a disrespect to the pain that they're feeling. And what you really need to do is enter in and come alongside that person and weep with those who weep rejoice with those who rejoice and if they're not in that place of joy yet count it all joy can be insensitive and harmful um and and also like you said judging how joy looks joy can isn't always this happy skipping along thing you know sometimes it's just this you're surviving the day kind of peace that's there. It's like an abiding joy that is you're unshakable in God, even in your sorrow and brokenness. Um, the other thing to consider too, is how God is so near the brokenhearted. I think sometimes we feel isolated. We feel alone. We feel like we're not doing something right because of that brokenness. And because it's so hard and hurts grief just does, but God, is near us in that broken, in that, 
you know, you know, so many scripture about the strength being his strength being made perfect in weakness and his grace being sufficient for us and nothing separating us from his love. If you look in Romans eight at the end, you know, there's a whole lot listed there, the persecution and the death and all of these things are not going to take us away. So he's near, even if we can't feel him, but I definitely think as Christians, we need to be better about understanding grief and hurting hearts and not putting that on people. That's not helpful, you know. Oh, for sure. I totally agree. And I, I think our biggest need from Christians is we need our grief validated. We need our pain validated before we can walk out of it. And if someone wants to walk with us, that's one of the best things they can do is to just validate our pain and our grief. One thing I learned after Becca died that I never really experienced, and we've been through a lot in our life, but I have learned that peace and pain can reside together, that joy and pain mm -hmm. can reside together at the same time. And it's okay. And you know, this whole death and grief thing, God didn't create death. No. God did not create us to die. And so when there's death, and especially when we bury our children, the grief is real and it's valid because that's not how God set us up for death. That's the enemy at work. And so it's okay to let people grieve and to let people walk through that valley of the shadow of death that God says, I'll be with you. And I sometimes say, I, I feel like it's not a shadow. It was just a valley of death. <laughs> not shadow there um, because it's, it's a really dark place. Yeah. So this has been really good. I love this. I am sure you can tell that Kelly is a precious sister in the Lord because God's love and grace just oozes from her, doesn't it? To connect with Kelly, you can go to sufficientgraceministries.org. And if you didn't catch that, it will be in our show notes on our website. I hope you join us next week because Kelly's going to talk specifically about pregnancy and infant loss. So please be sure to let others know about it, as there are so many around us who have faced this devastating loss, and they would appreciate hearing from someone who has gone through it and can offer hope and encouragement. And now it's time for this week's birthdays. We have one, and it is Lucas Christofferson, born June 28th, Lucas is forever 19, and his parents are in our local GPS Hope Share and Care group. So we celebrate with you the day that Lucas was brought into your lives and into this world. I would love to add your son or daughter to the birthday segment. So just go to gpshope.org birthdays. And there will be a form there. Just fill it out, submit it, and I will be sure and add your child to our birthday segment announcing his or her birthday that week. As I wrap up today's podcast, I want to mention that these two episodes, today and next week with Kelly, are part of an online conference called the GPS Hope and Healing Virtual Summit. We know that many of you would like the benefit of attending a conference for bereaved parents, but it just isn't possible because of things like finances or time and sometimes just not having the emotional bandwidth to attend something like that. So a couple of years ago, I decided to get 19 speakers together and have an online conference. This means that you can watch 
18 videos in the privacy of your own home at a time that's convenient for you. You have complete access to all of it. And we have made it available on our website store for only $49. So I was going to figure out what that breaks down to per session, but it's 18 sessions for $49. That's beyond reasonable, right? So to find out who the speakers are besides Kelly, the titles of the sessions, there's a button you can click on to watch a free session, and it'll tell you how to purchase it if you're interested. Just go to gpshope.org slash virtual summit. Now that link will be in the show notes also. And while I'm thinking about it, we do have a GPS Hope Retreat coming up in October. If you are interested in joining us, only 12 spots are available. So if you're interested in that, go to gpshope.org slash retreat, and you can find out about the one that we are having in Iowa in October. There'll be a link to that in the show notes also. And speaking of the show notes, all the links that have been mentioned can be found at gpshope.org slash podcast slash 10. If that's a little too much to remember, I know sometimes our grief fog really gets us, right? Just go to gpshope.org, click on the podcast tab, and then find episode 10, the one with Kelly Gherkin, and click on that and you'll find the show notes with all the links. So thanks for joining me today. This is Laura Deal closing out another week, reminding you to hold on. Pain eases. There is hope.